I sound like a dump truck. <laughs> and I am going to talk about trash. Yeah. This mic's probably a little hot because I'm getting feedback. John, where's John? Where's John Winter? There, thank you for coming, John. I, I keep up with, uh, with you through the missions committee and and Bonnie has said, uh, my wife, who is, we're new to the church now, but she grew up at Meadows. We were married at Meadows. So it's good to have you back. Good that you're healthy. We were concerned about your accident. That's always a hard thing to come back, to come back from. Are you ready? Matthew chapter 8. We're into... Uh, Pass the Sermon on the Mount and um, getting into uh, some of what Jesus does as well as what he teaches. No, that's good. So, I always feel a need to pray myself, so let me just say a prayer before I preach. Lord God, we thank you for your word. Um, short passage, but a, a really sweet passage. Uh, not in terms of sentimental but sweet in terms of um, goodness in what it teaches. So help us to learn from your word and apply it to our lives. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So before I get into the text that Jim read, we have to find what I call the location of the text. In other words, what has been going on before this? Because it will help us to understand that passage. So we're going to go back to... Mark uh, to Matthew chapter 4. And in Matthew chapter 4, um, it says, please click. Let's try this way. So you guys might have to advance it for me. So I'll just kind of go like this when it's time. Um, So Matthew chapter 4 is kind of a summary of what has been happening, all right? There's the birth, there's the magi, there's the slaughter of the innocents, and then Jesus is um, baptized, and then there's these temptations, and then this stuff happens. And he went, that would be Jesus, went through all Galilee, teaching in their synagogues. So they've been the... The disciples are in the synagogues, okay? There's, right now, there's only four disciples that we really know of. Peter, Andrew, James, John. They've been called from fishing, okay? Teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom, healing every disease, every affliction among the people. So this has probably got to be a kind of a wow thing for the disciples to go, wow, look at these people being healed. So his fame spread throughout all Syria, which is why John David last week preached on the centurion, right? Because, man, his, his fame just goes like fire throughout the area. And the centurion, very early in the Gospel of Matthew, is like, wow, you can do some amazing things. And they brought him all the sick, those afflicted with various diseases and pains, and those oppressed by demons. Those having seizures. So whenever you hear people like, oh, you know, the demons were probably people with seizures, 
Jesus knows the difference between a seizure and demonic, okay? The ancient world knew the difference. We do too, today. And paralytics, and he healed them. And great crowds followed him from Galilee to the Decapolis. Galilee over here, Decapolis over there. And from Jerusalem up here, Judea, beyond the Jordan, over here towards, uh, towards uh, what is present-day uh, present Jordan. So by chapter 8, which is where we're at, they've seen so much. The disciples have seen an incredible amount of things happen. The sick, the lame, the paralytics, they've heard the Sermon on the Mount. It has been, it must have been just a whirlwind for these guys. Just probably going, this is the best, this is the greatest, we love this, all right? They've gone to the, if it was today, you'd say we, they've gone to the Billy Graham Crusades, they've gone to conferences, they've heard the speakers, they've heard the best there is to see, they've seen people healed, it's just been amazing. They've been with Jesus with large crowds, they've seen Jesus interact personally with people, they've seen Jesus interact personally with the leper, they've seen Jesus interact personally with the centurion but what jesus is going to do next what he is going to do next is going to be very different they've never seen this before they've never experienced this before what jesus is going to do next might be embarrassing it might be threatening it might be wonderful. So let's see what he's going to do next. Jesus entered Peter's house. I believe John David said last week, he said with the centurion, uh, when Jesus said, I'll, I'll go with you to hear your daughter, he said, no, you don't need to come. I believe John David said something like, go ahead, say it loud. The centurion's uh, servant, but probably his son. And, and John David said something like, um, boy, do you want God to come to your home? Do you? Well, this is what happened. Jesus enters Peter's house. And, and actually, we know from Mark that Peter, Andrew, James, and John, they all went in to Peter's house following Jesus. Now, here's the interesting thing about this. This is not their workplace by the sea. This is not religious space at the synagogue, which they have been with Jesus. Jesus is always worshiping in the synagogue. Count on that. Always in the synagogue, teachings in the synagogue. A lot happens at the synagogue. But this is not that place. This is their personal space. This is their personal space. I want to ask you a question. Are you different in your personal space? Are you a little different at home than you are at church? Come on. Let me go through some negatives, okay? We'll get to some positives about personal space. Let me go through some negatives. In our homes is a place where we argue and raise our voice. 
I mean, when I was growing up, it was always like, get ready, come on, we're going to be late for church, come on, what are you guys doing, get, come on, how many people have been there, just raise your hand, I'm not going to hold you personally accountable, okay, that's your personal space, you know what it's like, in our homes, it's the place where we sit and waste our time binge watching TV programs, you don't have to raise your hand for that one, <laughs> Rhonda's got a hand up, I have to just praising God, Rhonda, It's in our homes where we stress out over finances. We have a new married couple here over there. Go ahead, stand up. We want to give you a hand. Go on, stand up. Come on, come on. I know. She's like, Uncle Stuart, come on. And Devin's like, I'm married into the family. But it's where finances are a big deal, aren't they? And finances in marriage are a big deal. There's a lot of um, contention over finances. And Jesus is going to come into the home. In his book called Becoming a King, consultant Morgan Snyder writes about a, merit, uh, writes about a uh, meeting, a decorated U.S. Special Forces soldier who he said was a master on the battlefield but struggled at home the soldier said this quote i can handle any firefight and a 3 uh, and a 300 man ambush no problem my role and objectives in war are clear it is in my life at home i can't handle my marriage and my kids, my mortgage, I'm failing. I feel like I live in Afghanistan, but I'm deployed to my home in Texas. Morgan Snyder comments, nothing to expose more of the unfinished places in us than our marriage and parenting. Marriage and home life are the most difficult relationships in which we love, uh, in, in which to love well, because they're the only place in which is least possible to hide. But it is where people don't see us in our homes. And Jesus goes into Peter's home, first time. Now let's look at the positive side real quick. Positive side of home. We pray with each other at home. You don't have to have kids to pray with people in your home. You don't even have to be married to pray with people in your home. I, I, one of the things I will never forget about my grandmother is two things, actually. Whenever we went to visit grandma, when we left, we, A, always sang a song, a Christian song. So I love Marcia doing a song with the kids. Two, we always prayed. And as a kid, I thought, Oh, my goodness, can my grandmother pray long prayers? <laughs> and then I became an adult, and I was like, good for my grandma. And I try not to let anybody leave my home without praying for them. Try it. Nobody, I have yet to have somebody say, no, don't do that. We, our homes are where we show hospitality. Our homes are where we serve people. 
is where we show loving discipline as we raise our kids and children to follow Christ. So the good things that happen in our homes. And Jesus wants to come into our home. Doesn't want to come into home that's our heart. I mean, yes, of course Jesus wants to come into our hearts. But also Jesus wants to come into your physical home so that he sees what's going on in your home, okay? How many of you have ever seen this picture? Raise your hand if you've seen this picture before. Love this picture. Grew up seeing this picture. It's from Revelation. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hear my voice and open the door, I will come into him and supplement him. And I always looked at that and considered that like for the non-Christian. If you're not a Christian, open your heart to Jesus. And that is true. But I also think that is a literal picture. Jesus wants to come into your physical home. Because we have a way of going to Jesus, right? We go to church where we're going to meet with Jesus. We go to a Bible study where we're going to meet with Jesus. We go to a a Christian conference where we're going to meet with Jesus. We tend to go to Jesus, we come back home, and then we show a different side of ourselves. Not all of you, but at times. I say that for myself. Jesus wants to come into our home, every room in our home. He wants to see what you're doing. He wants to hear what you're doing. Discipleship needs to be at home. And what's so interesting about this passage is Jesus didn't call. I just have to give this one little example about a guest we had at our home. Early on in marriage, okay, I come home. From being at church work, following Jesus, meeting with Jesus, and I meet Bonnie at our door. And she goes, <laughs> I said, what? She goes, Tom is here. I'm thinking, oh yeah, invite Tom to come over. She goes, I don't know Tom. <laughs> and he brought a pie. And he said, it's for dinner. (laughs) I was like, unannounced visitor for sure. For Bonnie, not a good thing in the early parts of your marriage. You learned real quick, home, right? Home. Tell your wife what's going on. And if you invited somebody to dinner, be sure to tell her. (laughs) We remain happily married. I just want to (laughs) tell you. Okay, so, um, so Jesus wants to come to your home. Let's continue on with the text. And when Jesus uh, entered, go ahead. There we go. And when Jesus entered Peter's house, he saw his mother-in-law lying sick with a fe- fever. He saw. So when you allow Jesus into your home, there's things he's going to see, right? See and hear. And the question is, what is Jesus going to see if you bring Jesus into your home? I know what he sees when you come to church. I know what he sees when you come to Bible study. I know what he sees when you go to a conference. But what does he see when you come into your home? In this case, he sees Peter's mother-in-law lying sick. 
Now, Matthew, in, in Luke and uh, Mark, it says that they had to tell Jesus, but Jesus already saw her. That's what Matthew is saying. Jesus came in, he immediately saw her, and uh, Luke and Mark say, oh, you got to go do something for her. Well, of course he is, because he sees her. So when Jesus comes into your home, does Jesus see sickness? Maybe physical sickness, but maybe there's a spiritual sickness. Maybe there's a sickness in your relationship, in the marriage, a sickness with your child, a sickness with the way you're relating with your neighbors, a sickness that is spiritually based. Because when you invite Jesus into your home, he's going to see it. That's why we don't like Jesus coming to our home sometimes. We wish we could just shut the door and be done with it. What does Jesus say at home? And he saw the mother-in-law lying so I want to stop on line because it's hard to translate that Greek word into, uh, into English. This is literally what it means. Go ahead. To cause to move from one location to another through the use of forceful motion. Throw. Now, he didn't throw her down. But what you have to understand is that she wasn't just lying there. Somebody had to move her. Okay? That's what the word means. Somebody had to move her. And why did they have to move her? Because she had a fever. And the word fever comes from the word fire. Okay? The Gospel of Luke says, and Luke is a physician, okay? Luke's the physician. Luke says she had a high fever, probably 105. How many of you remember your kids getting a fever of 104? And you were scared. And you were talking to the doctor. And you weren't sure what to do. And if it got to 105, you know there were problems. She is burning up. And when you have a fever, the last thing you want to do is move. Am I right? She has to have somebody move her. Because she's not just sick. And she's not a low-grade fever. She is on fire. And they had to move her. They had to, this work saying, throw her there. What she's sick with? Probably with malaria. We don't know what she's sick with, but malaria is pretty common. And she's just burning up with this high fever. And then this interesting way of Jesus healing her. It says, and he touched her hand, fever left her, and she rose and began to serve them. She taught, he touched, and, and Marcia brought that out real well with the kids. She said, how did Jesus heal her? Just touched her. Touch is far more with, with the centurion. Remember what Jesus said with the centurion? centurion said, don't need to come to my house. Just say the word will be done. Jesus said the word it was done. Jesus could have come and said, stand up, you're healed. But he didn't. He touched her because touch is far more personal. You know, one of the things we missed in the last couple of years was touch because of what? Because of COVID. When, I came to, when Bonnie and I came down to my mother's house, when COVID was on the wane, and my mother felt more comfortable meeting with people, um, we came up, I gave her a big hug, and she said, oh my goodness, I forgot what it was like to hug people. I have not been hugged in over a year. Children in orphanages in Russia, we had a family at our church, uh, last church I served at, um, 
who adopted from Russia, they don't cry anymore. You know why? Because they know they're not going to be picked up. They're not touched. And it causes problems in children when they're never touched, never hugged. In COVID, you have to stand six feet away from people. Dr. Dasher Kiltner is a professor of psychology and scientific, he was a scientific advisor for Pixar's film, Disney film Inside Out, which is about emotions. He explains, skin to skin, parent to child, touch is the social language of our social life. The foundation of all human relationships is touch. There are four years of touch exchanged between a mother and a baby. And you think about a nursing mother. You know what the baby's field of vision is? It's from the elbow to the face. That's their field of vision. That's what they can see clearly. In our social realm, our social awareness is profoundly tactile, says Dr. Kiltner. Kiltner was, this is really interesting here. Dr. Kiltner was one of the co-authors for a study called uh, Celebratory Touches of Pro Basketball Players. He said players uh, touching, including fist bumps, high fives, chest bumps, leaping shoulder bumps, chest punches, head slaps, head grabs, low fives, high tens, half hugs, uh, full hugs, team huddles. The researchers discovered that teams who, uh, uh, that the teams whose players touched one another a lot did better than the teams whose players did not. Isn't that interesting? Keltner has concluded that touch lowers stress, builds morale, produces triumphs. A chest bump, he says, instructs us in cooperation, a half hug in compassion. Jesus touches the untouchable. He touched the leper and he touches sick people. Touches them. It's remarkable. Is compassionate, and it tells us something about Jesus. I think I told you this before, so I won't say it long, but I will never remember with my father uh, being the psychiatrist, going with him to the hospital one day, and there's a profoundly, um, profoundly um, disabled person, profoundly. And as a little kid, I thought, who's going to touch that person? I will never forget my father came over and touched him. And as a kid, I was like, you touch people like that? My dad didn't think anything of it. Of course he did. That's what Jesus would do. And then, and she rose, no, go back, sorry. Yep, she rose and began to serve him. I know some of you guys are thinking, of course she served, because she's the woman, right? That's what women do. They serve, and that is true. They serve. But consider Matthew twenty twenty eight, and I, I'll read it. I thought I had it on here, but I don't think it is. But see if it comes up. Nope. Okay. Is Matthew twenty twenty eight says this. Even as he's talking about serving, and Jesus says, even as son of man 
came not to be served, but to serve. Son of Man came to serve and to give his life as a ransom to many. So I want you to consider the people that serve around this church. Dwight, when he serves downstairs cooking food, and the people that surround him doing that. Um, Dale, when he's, you don't ever see him vacuuming, but he's the guy that cleans it up. People that serve by picking up chairs and moving chairs. That will happen after our fellowship downstairs, won't it? These are people that serve, and the people that serve are acting in a Christ-like way. They are doing what Christ came to do, which was to serve. When I do marriage counseling, and, and Hannah and Devin, if they remember, which they may or may not, I don't know. But I usually say, why are you going to get married? And the couples go, oh, because of this, and they get dreamy-eyed. And this. And so those are wonderful reasons. I said, I want to add just one more. I want you to be able to look at each other and say this. So I'll look at Bonnie and say, Bonnie, I can't think of anybody else I would rather serve than you. I'm going to spend my life serving you. So a husband, the, you know, the man does it to the woman. And then I have the woman say it back to the, to the uh, man, say it back to the woman, and woman to man. Because that's what marriage is about, is it not? Look at my condition. You know what Bonnie mostly does? She serves me. Mostly. She signed up for it. It's a Christ-like thing. It's remarkable. Be a servant. And then the next slide is really remarkable. Because the next time I'm giving you, this is a battlefield. So it goes from, from a, a, a tender scene in Peter's home to a battlefield. And I'll explain that to you in a second. That evening they brought to him, we don't know who they is. It's not sure who the reference is. Probably the disciples, but maybe all kinds of people. That evening they brought to him, to Jesus, many who were oppressed by demons... And he cast out the spirits with a word, and he healed all who were sick. Very, two very different things here happening. I'm going to do it in reverse order. It's really important that we see what's happening here. First, all those who were sick. If you're sick, it's not your fault, right? How many people meant to catch COVID? Raise your hand. Okay, how many caught COVID? Raise your hand. Okay, you, it was non-intent. You didn't mean to. You just caught COVID. Maybe you got a fever. Maybe it was a little worse. Maybe you lost your sense of smell. It's no fault of your own. Maybe it's in your DNA, like with me. You know, I didn't do anything to get, to get MS. It was just in me. It's the way it is. But that's not true with demon possession. And both are present here. With demon possession, it's a very different thing. Demons and the demonic world are like rats. And they're attracted to trash. And I wanted to, thought about putting the rats up on the slide, but I didn't want to gross you all out. But they're attracted to the trash in our lives that we refuse to take out. In other words, uh, persistent, sinful behavior that we will not deal with. 
when we have persistent sinful behavior, we open our lives to demonic influence in the same way as just putting trash out on our back door and never disposing of it properly. It will, how many, would you all agree, it will attract rats. And the demonically possessed have opened a door somewhere in their life to allow the demonic into their lives. The demonic need to be cast out with a word from Jesus. The sick will probably, I imagine, he touched, he just went around touching, say, be healed, be healed, be healed, be healed. I want to go over, this is a battlefield, and as I was thinking about this, we're getting close to the end, but how many of you know the, the hymn, A Mighty Fortress is Our God? That hymn fits this passage extremely well. So here's the first phrase. I'd sing it, but my, you don't want to hear me sing. And I don't know what those little things are in between. We couldn't figure out what the LSEP is. But a mighty fortress is our God, a bulwark never failing. Our helper, he amid the flood of mortal ills prevailing. This home is crowded with mortal ills prevailing. That's the picture we see. It's a battle. It's a battlefield. You look at Peter's home right now, and what you see is you see the injured, the bleeding, the sick, and the demonic, which means probably there's some shouting and shrieking because that often happens in the demonic world, and we see that in the Gospel of Matthew. For still our ancient foe doth seek to work us woe. His craft and power are great, and they're armed with cruel hate. On earth is not his equal. Did we in our own strength, strength confide, our striving would be losing. Everybody in Peter's house is losing. I am fighting a losing battle with MS. You are probably fighting a, a, physically, a physical battle, and you're, lo- you're always going to lose. Because guess what? Everybody here is going to die at some time. I have been physically healed. That's a time for another story. Remarkably physically healed. And someday I'll share that with you. So all I think about is, with physical stuff, is, is Philippians 1.21, I think it is, where Paul says, for me to live is Christ, to die is gain. I win either way. I get healed, I win. I don't get healed, I win. Win-win situation. We're not the right, so we'd be losing. We're not the right man on our side. The man of God's own choosing. Dost ask who that may be? Christ Jesus is he. Lord Sabaoth. So it's not Sabbath. It's a word that means army. He's the Lord of the armies. His name. From age to age the same. And he must win the battle. Now that's not hope. You're not hoping he's going to win the battle. You're not hoping he's going to heal. What that word must means is... He will win the battle. There's no other possible outcome. He will win. You go to Jesus, that demon's going out. He will win. There's no no doubt about it. Next verse. And though this world, through this world, 
and though this world with devils filled should threaten to undo us, we will not fear, for God has willed his truth to triumph through us. The prince of darkness grim, we tremble not for him. His rage we can't endure, for lo, his doom is sure. One little word shall fail him. How many did Matthew say? Remember what it said? One word he cast out the demons. One word. Luther had it exactly right. One touch. One word. That's all it takes. Jesus is remarkable. His authority and his power, one. Not many, not time and again, not I hope you feel better, not I'll pray for you, let me know how it went. One. Done. Last verse of this, and we'll start wrapping up. That word above all earthly powers, no thanks to them abideth. The spirit and the gifts are ours through him who with us sideth. He is on, Jesus is on your side, folks. He must win the battle. What are you battling? Maybe physical, maybe spiritual, maybe anger, alcoholism, pornography. And if you go to Jesus, he must win the battle. But you must let him in your house. You must let him in your heart. First, then you must let him in your house because that's where the activity takes place, isn't it? That's where the trash is exposed. And that's when the rats come. Let goods and kindred go, this mortal life also. The body they may kill, God's truth abides still. His kingdom is forever. And then the final part of this passage. This was to fulfill, was spoken by the prophet Isaiah. He took our illnesses and bore our diseases. What's so interesting that the word took is the same in Greek as it is in English. It means he grasped them. So when you see Jesus touching Peter's mother-in-law, it's like he's grasping a hold of the fever and taking it from her. He's grasping a hold of the demons and taking them from him. Her sickness is now in his hands. And that's good, isn't it? And he bears them. He takes them upon himself and then disposes of them. So what are some of my takeaways? One. Go ahead. Don't just go to Jesus. Invite Jesus into your home. Just don't go to church. Don't you go to church. Go to Bible studies. Go to all those things. But invite Jesus into your home. He's got to go home with you. Second one. Go home and hug your children. Your husband, your wife, your mother your brother, your sister. It's encouraging and healing. One quick story. Golfer Greg Norman uh, was a great golfer in the day. And he, uh, he, he was called the shark. He was known for his hard-nosedness. He said, I used to see, when he was growing up, he said, I used to see my father getting off a plane or something, and I'd want to hug him. 
but he would only shake my hand. In 1996, Greg Norman was in the hunt to win probably the most prestigious golf tournament of the year, which is, which is the uh, Masters. And he was winning by, he, in, the, in the final day, he, lost, he, he was up six strokes and just came down to the last hole of the, of the whole round, championship lying on it. He is, they're tied with, he's tied with Nick Faldo, and Nick Faldo hits a 15-foot putt, and Greg Norman loses. And this is what he said. The writer, um, uh, Rick Riley, writes this. Now, as Faldo made one last thrust into Norm, uh, Norman's heart with a 15-foot birdie putt on the final hole, the two of them came towards each other, Norman trying to smile, looking for a handshake, and finding himself in the warmest embrace instead. As they held that hug, held it even as both of them cried, Norman changed just a little. I wasn't crying because I'd lost, Norman said the next day. I've lost a lot of golf tournaments before. I'll lose a lot more. I cried because I never felt that hug from another friend before in my life. I've never had a hug like that in my life. Hug your children, hug your wife, hug your spouse. Final, is there garbage in your life that needs to be taken out? There is. I mean, there is. If there's no garbage in our life, then we're saying we're not sinners. And First John says, if you say you have no sin, you're a liar. But we have Jesus Christ who has forgiven our sins. Take out the garbage. Let's pray.